0: Well, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me once again to Hebrews chapter 11. To Hebrews chapter 11. And before I begin, I I think it's just important for me just to clear up any concerns or anxieties or confusion. That bed over there has nothing to do with my sermon. I just, I didn't want you the entire time wondering if I was going to head that direction for some reason. So it's not an illustration. I won't preach from it. It's just, it's there for this afternoon, all right? For our Christmas things. But uh, I just had a number of people ask me if that had something to do with my sermon. So I just wanted to clear it up before you're distracted the rest of the day. This picture is our Christmas card from 2013. Uh, Andrea had just finished um, 600 hours of chemo infusion. She had had stage four cancer and we were waiting Uh, For that next scan, you're always waiting for that next scan, and our hope was that after all of the chemo, that the next scan would be clear, that all of the cancer in both of the places that it was found would be gone, and uh, we'd be done. And when we got the next scan, we found out that that wasn't the case, that um, in the midst of all of this dead tissue that chemo had killed, right in the middle of that was still a little glowing spot with more live cancer cells, and so... They began to talk to us about what was going to happen, and uh, they suggested a surgery, a pretty significant surgery to remove all that dead tissue and then the live stuff that's in there, and then follow that up with 26 rounds of radiation just to make sure that it was, it was gone. That's really not what we'd wanted, of course, or what we had expected. We had really been praying and hoping that that, that would be the end of it, but it wasn't. And so... I really didn't want Andrea to go through the surgery. She didn't either, but I just, this was heavy on me. As they talked about the surgery, I just thought this is not something we want to go through. And let me tell you what I really wanted. wanted. I really wanted one of those like big old fashioned miracles, you know, like the big ones (laughs) where everybody goes, wow, only God could have done this. So I, I was thinking about, wouldn't it be amazing if, you know, they always do another scan right before the surgery. What if when they did that next one, like we're about to go into surgery and then it's gone. Like it was there, they got the picture, but then it's gone. And I really wanted to pray this that was heavy on my heart, but I was hesitant because what if it didn't happen and I was embarrassed? And worse, what if God was embarrassed? Like, what if I looked like a fool because I had prayed this big prayer for a miracle and it didn't come through and I was feeling this. Like, I really felt like I wanted to pray that. I wanted to believe God for that. and I wanted to ask others, but I just was really unsure what would happen if it didn't work out and how I would feel. And I finally decided, all right, I need to do this. I, re- I really feel like the Lord is leading me to pray for a miracle. And so we began to pray that way. And then I, I wrote it on this little blog that we were keeping. And uh, that was even more risky Because now more people knew we were praying that. And more potential for embarrassment or whatever else. And then uh, a news organization named the Christian Post somehow read this and put an article out. And uh, it went kind of viral. And then I had all kinds of pastors calling me from different states saying, hey, we heard your story. We're praying. I I looked it up this week. It's still out there. The headline was like, Texas pastor needs a miracle for wife. And now it was out there. Right? I had done it. And um, just really praying for something significant. And... This is incredible. The most amazing thing happened. So it's time for the surgery. We go and get the scan. And you know what? Nothing changed. (laughs) It was right there. It was the same thing. It was like the exact same picture as, as before. And so she had the surgery, and that was a little bit more difficult than we had imagined when they were scraping out all of the dead tissue there. Uh, they actually scraped Andrea's lungs, which created some complication and tubes coming out, and that was a really long, out-drawn process. And then, of course, the 26 rounds of radiation, all of that happened, and, and um, God did not answer that prayer. He answered a lot of others. Uh, I mean, we, you know, had the grace and the strength, the endurance to go through it, and Andrea's here this morning, so that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> But it's, 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 it's hard when you, when you pray a prayer like that and you want God to do something. It just does leave you a little bit confused. What I found is that that's kind of the nature of faith. That faith has a tendency um, to put us in those kind of situations oftentimes. I wonder, should I, have, should I have asked for a miracle or not? I mean, was that a mistake? Should I have not asked for that? The truth is, sometimes faith gives us a big miracle. And it does, it still does today. And we pray and we ask God for something great and it comes through and we all rejoice. And I've seen it a number of times as a pastor and boy, those are great moments. And then sometimes that same faith does not give you a miracle. Sometimes you pray You fast and you beg God and you ask the pastors to anoint with oil and you do everything the Bible says to do. And it just doesn't seem like the Lord does anything. Those are difficult moments. And they do leave us with a bit of confusion and even worse than that, oftentimes what happens in those moments is the worst possible thing for the life of faith can set in in the heart of a believer. The greatest enemy to faith. It's cynicism. It's not fear. It's cynicism. Which says, well, I tried that and it didn't work. I prayed and God didn't do anything. And so why would I pray again? And if you have a couple of those situations, then you can grow increasingly cynical where you just stop asking God for anything. When my father was a senior in college, he got a call that his 41-year-old mother had gone in for routine surgery and every single thing went wrong and she, they thought she was going to die. He got in his car in Arkansas and drove as fast as he could all the way to the hospital in Dallas. And the entire way, he just prayed that she would make it, prayed that she would make it, prayed that she would make it. He wanted to see her. He wanted to see her. He was desperate to see her. He got to the hospital. He got up to her room. And not only had she not only already died and was gone... The only thing he saw when he walked in is the cleaning crew cleaning up the floor and the bed for another patient. He never got over that. He never got over that. And some of you haven't either. Some of you have never quite gotten over that moment in which God just didn't seem to come through. And then you come to Hebrews 10 and it tells us that the righteous are those who live by faith. They endure until the very end. They don't shrink back, meaning when they have these moments, what do they do? Well, they just, they just keep pushing forward. The righteous have this faith that just goes. I mean, enduring means that it, just, it doesn't stop. It just keeps going. And the righteous, they don't go backward. They go forward. And you think, well, how does that work when faith doesn't seem to work? And I really think by the time we get to this place in our study of Hebrews 11, we're we're going to at least wrestle with a little bit of that. And I think the Lord knows that. And so he really gives us some instruction on how that works. It's found in Hebrews 11, verses 32 all the way to 38. If you're there, say amen. It says this. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. How many of you want that stuff in your life, right? That's amazing stuff. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release Now, everyone listed there is an example of faith. Everyone. Everyone, from the ones at the beginning to the ones at the end, all of them walked by faith. All of them trusted the Lord. All of them are examples of faith. It's not that, hey, these ones are the example of faith, but don't be like these other ones. They didn't have enough faith, which is exactly what prosperity gospel will tell you. Well, they got this because they had enough faith. They got this because they didn't have enough faith. All of these had the same faith. They all believed and they all stepped out and they all put everything on the line for the Lord. And according to verse 34, some of them by doing that escaped the edge of the sword. They were about to get killed and God delivered them miraculously. According to verse 37, some of them with the same faith, serving the same God, were killed with the sword. And both of them examples of, of faith. But the question is, how do, you, how, do you, how do you navigate that? What do you do with that? Because that is a reality of our life. This is not just their story. If we're honest, this feels a little bit of our story as well. And I think we begin to understand this with two very key words in verse 33. In the English Standard Version, it begins, I say in this, who, all of these people, who, two words, through faith. I, I think those are the most important words in this text those are the words that begin to give us some understanding on what it is that God is doing with faith and how we navigate these type of moments. Because it shows us with those words through faith that the way in which God has ordained his kingdom to work is that we receive access to what God has through the means of faith. Faith is the way in which what God has is appropriated to us. So this is why Ephesians 2.8 says, by grace have you been saved, what are the next two words, through faith. It's not of yourself, it's not a result of works, it's a gift of God so that no one can boast. What it means is this, you're saved by the sheer grace of God. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, it's all an act of Grace. But the means by which God brings his salvation power into your life is through faith. Faith is the way in which that comes to you. So Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the entire book of Romans. (laughs) That we are justified, we're declared righteous by faith. That as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and no longer trust in our own efforts, we trust what Jesus has done for us, well, then somehow that faith is applied to us as as righteousness. Think about it this way. Think of faith like a fire hose. A fire hose has never put out a fire. But you have to have the fire hose because there has to be some means by which the water gets from the hydrant to the house. And it's the water that's the secret. The water is the resource that's needed. The water is putting out the fire. But somehow, it's got to get from here to here. And the way that happens is through the hose. Faith is the hose. Faith is the means by which what God has comes to us. What that means is this. Faith is not the way you get everything you want. Faith is the way you get everything God has. Because in some way or another, in the life of faith in every believer, whether it's that thing which you wanted or that thing which God knew you needed, the way in which all of that comes into our life is by the means of faith. And I think what we have here in this text is the two sides of that. When sometimes we pray and get a big miracle and sometimes we don't, Both of those things are things that come through faith. So the first part of that found in verses 32 through 35 is this. Write this down. It is through faith we experience great miracles. It is through faith that we experience great miracles. This is here. All of this is here. Not just to point us back to what a bunch of old dead guys saw happen in their life. And for us to rejoice with them. This is here because it's supposed to stir something up in us. Like we're supposed to read this and say, God, I want that. I I want to experience that. I I want to see you do those miraculous things." That's the reason it's here. It's to give us some desire to see God do that supernatural work. And he starts there by saying, well, what more shall I say? And the point is this, he's just what in 31 verses so far, and he's only in book six of the old Testament. So I think he just realizes that he, he's got to at some point start summarizing. And you know what? Most people think is the book of Hebrews was actually a sermon that was given. Uh, and if that's, car- that's true, uh, he's got to be aware that by the time you get to the middle of chapter 11 in your sermon, people are squirming, okay? So he knew that he had to speed things up, and so he just begins to list people in these two really dramatically different categories. And he just lists all of these, these men, these six men, Gideon, Barak, and Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who experienced some incredible things through their faith. Now, I knew that in in our time together, I didn't have uh, time to go through all of these men individually and their stories. And so what I did is I went through them myself this week, every one of them over and over And I noticed a lot of differences. There's a lot of unique things. And it is an encouraging study. Go back and read about every one of these men. And all of them just saw some neat things happen. Really unique and distinct things. But what I was looking for is what are the similarities? Because that's the point. They're here not because of their differences. They're here because of their similarities. And I noticed just a few similarities I want to give to you. The first one I noticed is this. Every one of these men are highly dysfunctional. I just think it's important to say that. Unlike all the men in this room okay and the ladies laugh the men are dysfunctional all of them have a lot of baggage and junk and sin they do a lot of dumb things you've got david and then samson he's got all kinds of issues i mean that's a weird dude there's just all kinds of of strange stuff going on and i think like the one thing i noticed is God wanted to make sure we didn't put these guys over here on a pedestal and say, well, they have a kind of faith that we can't have because they live in a way that we don't leave. No, all of our dysfunctions, they've got them. You can find them there in these men. So a lot of dysfunction. The second thing I noticed is all of them found themselves in a situation that was significantly bigger than anything they could handle in the flesh. No possible physical way they could have worked it out. Impossible. Each of them chose at a very specific moment to trust God, to say, Lord, I, I know I can't do this, but I know you can. And so I'm gonna choose to trust you as we say around here at Prince and follow you. And as they did through faith, every one of them saw God do something absolutely miraculous. I mean, big time miracles. That's the similarities. And, and just think, I mean, let's just look at the first example for just a little bit, because it's here. Tell me, it says, time would tell me, fail me to tell you of, of, of Gideon. I mean, you know the story of Gideon called by God uh, to form an army and then to deliver the people of God from two opposing armies. And he started with this ragtag group of 32,000 men. With 32,000, listen, they were already outnumbered four to one. So odds are not good that they're going to win outnumbered to that degree. But God goes to Gideon and says, that's too many on your side. And he brings it down to 10,000. You remember that? And then God says, yeah, that's still too many on your side. So he brings it down to 300. So now uh, there's this army, which the text says is like, just looks like locusts. There's just, you can't, they're innumerable. And then he's got 300 guys, okay? Which is clear in, in every human way to think about it. This is an absolute impossible situation. There's no way, humanly speaking, that Gideon can do this. And that's exactly where God loves to have you. Can I just tell you that? I think this is a good moment to stop and say, God loves to put you in those situations. Not because there's something sick about him watching you get into a really overwhelming situation, but because God loves for you to be in a spot where he has to come through or you're not gonna make it. So Jesus is there and the disciples come to him and say, hey, these these thousands of people, they're hungry. Jesus, give them something to eat. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you give them something to eat. Well, that's even more ridiculous. Why? Because part of the training of faith is to put you in situations that are much greater than you can ever handle. And so it's exactly what God did to Gideon. And so with some trumpets, because that's a great thing to take in a battle, and some lamps, they destroy all of the armies, okay? So both of the armies defeated with some trumpets and some lamps because God wanted to get the glory, and he did. And they saw something incredible happen. But but here's what I thought when I thought of the story of Gideon. If Gideon would have started this by looking at the numbers saying, okay, 32,000 against all of these, there's no possible way, I'm out. Or maybe he made it through that, but then he goes, okay, 10,000 against him, God, I'm definitely out. 300 against God, I'm out. Like, I love my family. I don't wanna die. This is ridiculous. It's impossible, I'm out. If at any moment in the process, Gideon steps out, we're not talking about Gideon. Like the means by which he saw the miracle is because every step of the way he chose to believe the Lord even when it didn't make sense. Because the only means by which we ever see a miracle is through trusting and following the Lord. It's always through faith. And the reason that's important for you today is this. Listen, God is still doing miracles. He's still healing people from diseases. He's still giving barren couples children. He's still bringing wayward children home. He's still restoring broken marriages. And every one of those situations that you face that seem too big for you are too big for you, but they're not too big for God. Our God is still a miracle working God. and We cannot let our fear or our cynicism get in the way of that Because God is still working miracles and he's still working them in the same way through faith. And it's not that every time you have faith for a miracle, it's going to happen. But it is this, without faith, there'll never be a miracle in any situation. And God wants to restore our hope and our confidence and our belief that he is a God that is still working. Think about that little story at the beginning of Mark 6 where Jesus goes back to his hometown and the people are extremely cynical. Well, don't we know you? Didn't we know your dad and your mom and your brothers and your sisters? They're just asking all these questions. And it says this, listen, Jesus was unable to do any miracles there because of their lack of belief. You say, well, is there anything Jesus is unable to do? Well, according to Mark six, he's unable to do miracles where there is no faith. So the only way to be a candidate for God to do something miraculous in your life is, is through the means of, of faith. One of the ways in which God has been stirring this up in my own heart is uh, I told you about a month ago, I said, can we just start praying as a church? I just, part of my leadership philosophy is I just want to tell you everything because we're a family and we'll do all this together. And so I just said, I, just, I know there's building things we need to do, um, there's just a lot of stuff that needs to happen, not only because we have needs now, but in the next couple of years, we're seeing what's happening in our community. But I didn't know exactly what to do. And uh, when I think about all the needs we have and I put them all together on paper, I think the last quote we got was like $16 million, right? I mean, if it was a little less from that, I was just going to take care of it. But 16 is high. That's a lot. And uh, But I got rebuked by Tim Luke and a few others last week, basically saying this... <laughs> How are we ever going to know if God wants to provide that if we don't step out and do something about it? So maybe he doesn't want to, but maybe he does, but we're never going to know unless we choose to walk by faith. And that's risky and scary, mostly for the guy who's making the appeal and could get embarrassed. But what I'm saying is the only means by which we'd ever see it happen is if we stepped out and went for it. And here's the great thing about Jesus. If it didn't all come in, we just know God's protecting us and telling us to do something different. Like you can't lose on this. But the only way you can lose is by choosing not to walk by faith. You can lose by stop asking. By stopping to seek God to do something significant and real in your life, to deliver you from an addiction, to restore a marriage, to bring a friend back home, to reconcile a relationship, whatever it is, God wants to do miracles and he does them through faith. There is the rest of the chapter, which tells us on the other side of that, it is not only through faith we experience great miracles, get this down, it is through faith we endure great hardships. It is through faith we endure great hardships. I think verse 35 may have the starkest contrast in the entire Bible. You, you start with unimaginable victories, Women receive back their dead by resurrection. So in just classification of miracles, raising a dead kid to life is like number one, okay? Right? Like you can't fake that one. Nobody else, that, that, that's, so we know that's the biggest, right? Raising someone back from the dead. That's the top miracle, okay? And Then it says this, and some were tortured. Like that's an unbelievable contrast. I, I don't, you know, I know the verses aren't inspired like they were added later, but you would think that'd be a good place for a new sentence. Like not in the middle of the same sentence, right? Some got their kids back from the dead. Some were tortured. And then there's this list of unimaginable sufferings. I, I, there's a lot of things that happen in this text. We get a lot of clues about the kind of suffering it's pointing to. And uh, the Greek language has a tendency to do that. It'll use a word that'll point us back to something in the Old Testament. And I was talking to someone this week about some of the things that were really, I think, be alluded to here. And I was encouraged to not give them because they're so, they're so brutal. But one, I'm gonna go ahead and give you. The first word there for tortured is the word that we get our word timpani from. It's that big drum that's over there. So you've got this big drum and the way it works is a piece of calf skin or some kind of a synthetic cloth is draped over the drum and it's pulled tightly. And then there's little knobs and the knobs pull it tighter and tighter and tighter until it's stretched to such a degree that when you bang on it, it makes the noise. That's a timpani. It's the exact same word for being tortured here. And it refers to a type of torture common in the first century where they would take a person and take all four of their limbs and stretch them out as far as they could And then beat them on their backs. That's the first one. So some some people got their dead back. Some got stretched out and beaten like a drum. Same faith, same God. And then it goes on. It said some were mocked and flogged and chains and imprisonment, stoned and sawn in two. We don't have this in scripture, but church history tells us that the prophet Isaiah died by being sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. Why? Because they didn't have clothes. They were destitute. They had nothing. The same people who walked by faith were destitute. They were afflicted. They were mistreated. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. They didn't have clothes. They didn't have homes. They had no resources whatsoever. God's people still walking by faith. I want to remind you that this was written to a generation of people in a specific context where they were suffering the harshest persecution of the first century under Nero. So this was not like some distant thing like it is for us, let's be honest. Like, I think persecution for us is we can't pray in school or show the 10 commandments. I, I doubt we're still gonna be alive in a day in which we're stretched and beaten, okay? But for them, this was this could happen. Like this could be the fate. We know this from the end of chapter 10. So this could have been exactly what was going to happen. And the whole reason this book was written to say this, listen, if this happens, you gotta hold on. If this happens, you can't give in. You can't shrink back. Let's say they take you and they start stretching your limbs. Don't give up. Don't deny Jesus Christ. And then we think, well, how in the world could anyone face this unimaginable suffering and make it through? And the answer is this, faith faith the same faith that got a lady's dead child back is the same faith by which this other group of people would have the grace and the strength and the endurance to make it to the other side of the suffering and receive the glory and that's exactly what it says look at verse 35 women received back their dead by resurrection some were tortured listen to this refusing to accept release, which means they were given an opportunity, denied Jesus, you can go. Nope, we're not gonna do that. Why? So that they might rise again to a better life. Now, can I get you to notice two words here? It says some women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured and didn't accept release so that they might rise again to better life, meaning both received a resurrection, some on this side of the grave, some on the other. Faith gave this group of people the confidence to believe and the eyes to see that even in the midst of suffering, if God never takes away the hardship, he's still good and he's still worth it. And what happens on the other side of that hardship is still worth it as well. And I find it interesting that this commendation is not given to the first group. It's only given to the second group in verse 38. These are people of whom the world was not worthy. These are are the heroes. So there are times in which God gives us that big answer to prayer. And there are times in which he doesn't. Think about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Three times he prays that God would take away his thorn in the flesh. And he doesn't. He prays, God says no, he prays again. God says no, he prays again. So he's pleading, he's begging. He's saying, God, you know how much more effective I would be if you would just take this away? God, imagine how much better I would be if you took this away. And God's answer was this. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is perfected in your weakness. So in Paul's mind, it was simple. If I didn't have this, whatever it was, I would be more powerful. To which God responds, that's actually not true. I'm giving you this because this is the means by which you receive your power. And if I took that away, you would have less power. So the very thing that Paul wanted taken away is the very thing that God had put in his life in order for him to accomplish everything God had for it to accomplish. Paul, I have this for you to do and you can't do this unless you keep enduring this. And could it be that sometimes that one thing we desperately want to go away, that one miracle we're desperate to see is the one thing that God is saying, no, I'm keeping that there in order that my power might be perfected in your weakness. I want to be glorified in such a way that is only possible as you continue to endure by faith. Sometimes God gives us a big God-sized miracle and he delivers us immediately. And sometimes He just gives us the grace, the God-sized grace to endure our hardship. But either way, it's a miracle. And either way, God is giving us exactly what we need in the moment. So it was the morning of that surgery. Remember the one that I prayed that God wouldn't have Andrea to go through. It's about five in the morning and my phone rings. It's a man by the name of Steve Gaines, who is Ryan Wingo's father-in-law, Lindsay's dad. He's been a real mentor to me, a pastor in Memphis. He called and said, hey, Josh, you awake? I said, absolutely, just up praying. Sound asleep, dead. Like I didn't even know what was going on. It's an hour earlier for him, so he was up at four praying. I feel like an idiot. <coughs> he says, man, I'm up praying for Andrea. I know the surgery's going. Listen, I feel like the Lord just gave me a promise. He said this to me 20 times. He said, man, the Lord gave me a verse this morning that Andrea is going to see her grandchildren's children. He always says that to me. He prays that all the time. I just believe it. I, got, I think God's going to deliver. And he said, Josh, how are you feeling? I said, honestly, I'm, I'm still kind of embarrassed. Like I prayed for this big miracle and I'm embarrassed. And uh, I, wish, I said, I wish I wouldn't have prayed for that. It just it seems like such a weird deal. I don't know why God had me do that. And just felt kind of foolish and I'll never forget what he said to me. As a matter of fact, I called him this week and I said, this is what I remember you saying. Is this what you said? He goes, I remember exactly the moment I called you and I remember exactly what he said. He he said this. He said, Josh, God is not embarrassed when you ask for something big. He's not ashamed of you. He wants you to ask for big things. He said, read through the gospels. God is always saying to us, listen, pray for something big. Ask God to do something big Listen, I, I'm going to continue to ask for big things of God as best that I know how. I'm just going to continue to do that. But then I'm going to know that if God doesn't give me that, it's because he's got something better. And then he said this. God always gives you exactly what you would have asked for if you knew what he knew. God always gives you exactly what you would have asked for if you knew what he knew. That God knows so much more than we know in a way that we cannot comprehend. And if we knew all that he was doing in our life and the lives of those around us, we would have asked for what it is that he are given because we would have known that that was better. And so to all of that, here's my conclusion, okay? My conclusion is that when we choose to walk by faith, it's not enough just to trust the promises of God. You got to have them, but it's not enough. You must also trust the heart of God. You have to believe that he loves you in an unimaginable way. That he is absolutely committed eternally to your good. That he is for you, he is not against you, he's not mad at you, he's not angry with you. With all of your dysfunction, he has made a commitment to love you perfectly and eternally forever and has com- and has committed to walk through this life with you and accomplishing everything for your good and his glory. And the reason that's true is because of Jesus Christ. Because when you were united by faith with Jesus Christ, you were adopted into the family of God. He is treating you like a child and there is nothing that could ever happen to separate you from his love. He is absolutely committed to your good. And the way in which we walk by faith in the miraculous moments and the moments in which we simply get the grace to endure is every step of the way we trust the good heart of God through Jesus Christ. You know that song we sing sometimes, Graves to Gardens? I was thinking about that, that sometimes God turns our graves into gardens in this life. God takes some terrible situation, some terrible relationship, some addiction, and he turns it around and he turns it into a garden and we all see it and we rejoice. God took a grave into a garden. Sometimes we have to actually go to the grave to get the garden. So sometimes we don't see everything in this life work itself out, but faith allows us to see that whether we see it on this side or on the other side, we will see it because the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is that every grave is turned into a garden for those who know him. And that's why we call it the good news. And that's why we choose to keep living by faith. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.